Welcome to the Surviving to Thriving podcast that helps women leaders in nonprofits get out of survival mode and thrive in both leadership and life. I'm your host, leadership development coach, Kathy Archer, and I help women leaders enjoy impactful leadership. Do you know what holds you back from reaching your full potential as a leader? What keeps you stuck and sometimes stagnant? It's your mindset. It's the thoughts that you have that keep you where you are at and sometimes frustrated in your leadership role. In today's podcast, I interview Janice Cunning and we're going to riff back and forth about five mindset shifts that you need to make so that you can become a more competent, thus confident leader. And now I'll transition into that interview with Janice Cunning. So welcome to today's episode, How to Develop a Competent Leadership Mindset. And we are going to talk to Janice and her and I are just going to kind of riff back and forth on some mindsets that you might have that uh, hold you back sometimes in developing the skills. So in episode number seven, I talked about competence and how you need to be competent before you feel confident. So we'll refer back to some of those ideas But before we jump in, Janice, why don't you tell everybody about yourself, what it is you do, and how you got to where you are. Sure. Hi, Kathy. Um, So I'm Janice Cunning, and I live in Toronto. And well, Kathy and I, I mean, we have a lot in common, right? We're both certified coaches. We've been through the same leadership program, uh, and we're entrepreneurs and women leaders. So it's it's been really lovely over the past uh, couple of years to, to totally. get to know you and collaborate in different ways. Um, so yeah, I made a transition. Um, I was a fundraising consultant for almost 10 years until about 2008 and sort of had a like a long held dream of coaching. And so in 2009, finally went to the, the Coactive Training Institute and, and did my training and certification. And then about uh, five years ago, met my business partner, David. And since then, we've uh, added another partner, Michelle. And so together, we're fundraising leadership, which provides um, coaching and training and uh, support for nonprofit leaders. Yes. And why, like, why did you guys start that business? Why do you think it's so important for people to get the coaching and training? So it really came out of the leadership program, which is where David and I met. And we were doing uh, some work in the nonprofit sector, which is our background together. And it really came down to feeling like what was missing was the leadership support, like coaching and training around how to be the best leader that you can be. And that there's a lot of emphasis and people doing great work in the space of more like funders and consulting and training, which is, you know, how to make an ask or run a great event or, you know, that kind of thing. But that we just sort of felt like this is something where people are often getting promoted and they don't have a lot of support. So we wanted to offer like an accessible way for people to step into. Yeah. And that's one of the things I talked about in episode seven. The problem with a lot of nonprofit leaders is we move them up without that training. And yeah, they're, they're doing these leadership roles, but they're still, their, their mindset is often still frontline work. And that's, that's half the reason why we micromanage, I think, because, you know, we're so caught up in doing that, that touch point, whether it's disabilities or the food bank or the fundraising expert, whatever it is, you still know the frontline stuff. 
when you talk about the leadership skills, what are some of the skills that you would teach in your courses? Yeah, so we do a lot of emphasis on creating trust, like really seeing that as the foundation. How do you as a leader make sure that your team feels like they trust each other, that you can have really candid conversations, um, learning how to delegate, how to challenge people and get them to do more than they think they're capable of. I mean, when I think about like leaders that I worked with, like that's what sticks with me is like they had this ability to get me to do things that I didn't even know that I had the ability or motivation to do. Um, And, and then also stepping into conflict, you know, I think a lot of times you probably see this too is in the nonprofit sector, there's, Often conflict is an issue, not in the sense that there is a lot of conflict, but in the sense that there's a lot of avoidance of conflict. <laughs> yes. Um, so learning how to really like challenge people to have the conversations that they need to have with their team is, yeah. is a big part of what we do. So I think I think those sort of pieces, again, like you were saying, it's like being a great uh, nonprofit worker, you know, often like you have a lot of skills, like you're very good at building connections and being in a relationship and communicating. And so it's really like acknowledging that and then building on it in a way that allows them to be the leader that they need. Just as you were talking, I was thinking, I don't remember any of my positions when I, you know, went from frontline to supervisor, to manager, to director, you know, coordinator, what I don't remember in any of those pieces, somebody saying, and here's the training manual on how to build trust. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it just didn't happen. I don't even think I ever had that conversation with my boss about, you know, how to build trust. Certainly in performance appraisals, the word trust was thrown in sometimes, often as your staff don't trust you, Kathy. <laughs> you know? But it wasn't, yeah, here's how to build trust. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's becoming, you make a good point, like it's becoming more uh known i think like there's a lot more research and a lot more books being written yes. um i know you and i both like love to read our books you know <laughs> yes. but this this it's becoming more accepted i think in the business world yeah. and maybe the nonprofit sector is like lagging a little bit i think mm-hmm. in terms of recognizing that you know things like building trust and having healthy conflict and being uh, another book that you and I love is Radical Candor, right? Yep. This idea of really being able to give feedback in a way that is like caring personally for someone, but also challenging directly. Yeah. So I think there's like when we talk about being a competent leader, it's like you have to be on top of like what are the things that are happening? Mm-hmm. What is the research saying is the way to build a really effective team? And how do I personally devote time in my day, you know, super busy day to actually like carving out some time for these things. Yeah. So we're going to jump into sort of the five, what do we call them? Five mindsets that people have that hold them back from doing that training. And I just, as you were talking, I thought of a couple other examples that we can use as we're talking about these. I was seeing a comment or a post on LinkedIn today about empathy building. You know, how do you, how do you teach somebody to be empathetic? That's, not a skill again that we've been taught. And the other one that I focus on a lot is emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. So the term emotional intelligence is thrown out there all the time, but what exactly is it and how do you do it is not taught to leaders. So those might be a couple more examples we can use as we're going along. Yes. Yeah. All right. So throw out the first mindset to Janice that people have that holds them back. So I think you and I both probably hear this a lot. Like I just don't have any time. You know, 
I'm overwhelmed with my frontline work. There's always so much to do. And, you know, I'm already working 10 hours a day. I might be juggling family responsibilities. And now you want me to read a book or watch a webinar or <laughs> get a mentor or a coach? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's just exactly. They're overwhelmed, overburdened. And yeah, working more hours than they should. I, I've heard them say, I wish I could just clone myself, right? And I remember feeling that way very much. So if that's the current mindset, what's the mindset shift that they need to make to help them become a more competent leader? I think it's really sort of switching into it being an investment. Um, and I think that, like, I will often say to my own clients and then people when they take our courses, like, it, I completely agree it is it takes more time yep. to do this at the beginning you know if you're trying to learn a new skill you have to devote time to learning about it but then more importantly practicing it so i think recognizing that um but playing a bit of more of a long game because what i see is that for example if you if you do de devote time to being like more emotionally intelligent as you yep. brought in and you create more trust on your team people will be more empowered. Uh, you know, people will spend less time, I think, and, and your energy as a leader coming to you about petty things that they could actually be talking to the person about themselves. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have a lot more energy. So it may seem like you don't have time. But the truth is, if we always spin in the cycle of like, I don't have time, we don't improve. And if we improve, then actually and invest in that, then what comes out the other end is more time, I think, for what you should be doing as a leader, which is being more visionary and strategic. Right. Absolutely. When you were saying that I had that vision of that story about the penny, you know, you say one penny today and two pennies tomorrow. It really is that small in the beginning. You can start in minutes, right? We're not talking you have to, you know, go sign up for a course at university. Yes. Uh, it, it can be five minutes here, five minutes there as a start. And yet it multiplies. Yeah, you know, that I love that. Like one of my my friends who's also a coach had said to me like, oh, you know, Harvard Business Review has this great daily email. So I just signed up for that. That's something you can read in like 45 yeah. seconds. And then not every piece of it will apply to you. But some of it is interesting enough that you're like, oh, that's something I don't know enough about. Maybe I now go read an yes. article or watch a video. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So that's the first myth that we're busting. The second current mindset that people have that holds them back is? No money, Kathy. So what- <laughs> Well, they what work you... for nonprofits. What oh. do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think? Where should we go? What's the new mindset on that, Kathy? Well, I think what we need to do is we need to think about redirecting dollars in our current budget. Where, you know, you were saying earlier, if you're in fundraising, you've probably already been to the fundraising conference five times at least. Uh, you've probably taken that frontline training. When I was starting to expand my organization, we were expanding into fetal alcohol syndrome world. And so I was taking training after training after training to understand that and how it all fit together. But at some point, my staff were doing that work. And so I needed to shift my training dollars into then, yeah, that visionary leader, the leadership skills and competencies, not the frontline competencies. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I, I agree. Like, I think it's really taking a hard look at, I think what you're speaking to is sometimes we just start to do something and then we don't sort of pause and say, is this still serving me yeah. for where I am right now in my career? 
and maybe there's actually something. And also what I love about what you said is empowering, like there's people on your team who really probably could get a lot out of going to that conference. Yes. Yes. Even if the conferences are virtual now. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, The other thing about time that I, um, or, or money that I often think about too, is sometimes it's just a mindset shift. So you know, when you think about how much we spend on a pair of shoes or a new purse (laughs) or the photocopier at the office, uh, you know, if you just start to think about and put things into perspective around, we've invested a lot of money in this as an organization. Yeah. If I, if, if we have a lot of team conflict and drama that just keeps sucking the energy and life and resources out of our organization, maybe if I invested in coaching with Janice around radical candor for six months. Wow. That investment would save a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's a mindset shift. Yes. Good. All right. Our third one, Janice and I came up with these together. So we're flipping them back and forth. <laughs> so the third, third mindset is that we often have no support. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that holds you back because when you think you have no support, uh, uh, women, especially I notice in leadership feel isolated and alone. Even if they have a boss or a board chair, they often feel like they don't get them or understand them or they're not supporting them. I know for me, often my boss had so much on their plate that they didn't have a lot of time for me. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I often felt like I didn't have anybody to help me or anybody to support me. So what's the mindset shift we want them to make, Dennis? Yeah. So I think it's about taking responsibility for your career and I often with my coaching clients will remind them that there's a distinction between your job and your career. Now, your job is an important part of your career, but it's not your whole career. You know, I mean, first of all, most people are going to work in many different institutions Mm -hmm. over the life of their career, but also there's a, a bigger picture way of looking at your career, even if you stay in your current job, like, could you volunteer, you know, for one of the local sort of nonprofit associations, like maybe you want to join a board of a organization that you're really passionate about, which oftentimes like people will have opportunities to do things when they sit on a board that they, they might not be given the responsibility for something that broad uh, in their job. So I think that is important to remember that like, nobody cares about your career as much as you do. (laughs) You know, even if you have great leaders and great mentors, which hopefully people do, ultimately you are the one who's responsible for your career. And what I hear, I heard it in myself and I hear in a lot of people is almost that victim mindset. Well, nobody's telling me which course to take. Nobody's helping me decide what I should do or back to, I don't have time and money. Um, You know, there's just, I don't have the resources or I, I can't do it. And, and again, I love switching the word responsible to response able. You're able to choose the direction of your career. And so maybe you don't have the dollars to head off to university, but you certainly can afford a library card and get a book from the library. Uh, you know, and Janice and I are avid readers. And so we know that just reading a book or listening to a podcast, or as you said, a weekly or a daily email that can have a tremendous impact and you don't have to wait for somebody else to offer that to you or suggest it to you. Quick Google search will tell you which direction to go. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think about like one thing throughout my career that I've always really gravitated to is professional associations, you know, and I've had opportunities, you know, for example, to like co-chair a big conference, which is not something in my day-to-day world that I would normally do. And then I learned like so many more leadership skills through those experiences. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, The current mindset is? Afraid to fail. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I I resonate with this one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and when we're afraid to fail, we hold ourselves back. And we just, I think this is where a lot of us get stuck in that rut. You know, the the hamster wheel. We're just going around and around and around because we're never trying anything new. Uh, We never put ourselves out there. And so whether it's uh, trying a new way of communicating with somebody or, you know, trying a new way of running a staff meeting or whatever it is, we're just afraid to stick our neck out. So the mindset shift that we're talking about is I need to develop an experimenter's mindset. Tell us about that, Janice. Yeah, I, you know, as you were saying that, I was reflecting on what you said earlier, where sometimes um, when somebody gets promoted, they still get sucked back into doing the work that they used to do. And I think a lot of that comes from that fear. Like it's more comfortable to kind of be like, oh, I know how to write that proposal or I know how to go and talk to that person. Um, So I think for this, it's really remembering that um, there's, there's, you know, some, some work around from Carol Dweck, who's an author around like the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. And the idea is like, if we have a fixed mindset, it holds us back because we think that it's fixed. Like either I have the ability to deal with conflict or I don't. Like I just born with that ability. So therefore there's nothing I can do about it. Whereas a growth mindset says like, if you actually put um, effort into something and have a commitment to trying something, then you can improve and get better. Like, you know, you may never be a person who's naturally as comfortable with conflict as somebody else but that doesn't mean that you can't take yourself from like a three out of ten to a seven out of yeah yeah when janice and i took our coach training and we didn't take it together but we took the same basic training there's a whole portion of our training that we learn about curiosity and again this is not a skill you're taught as a leader and yet curiosity is where you get that innovation and that creativity and, you know, those, those ideas that come out in a team. And if, if you don't know how to be curious, then it's really hard. So the experimenter's mindset, I often think about, you know, like a magnifying glass and your lab coat and, you know, the beaker and the whole bit. And, you know, in episode seven, I talked about that you need to practice these skills. And so, you know, one thing that you can do is just, practice experimenting or practice getting curious you know when you're in a in a board in a meeting that you're bored and you're just kind of you know wanting to check out a little bit get curious about oh I wonder where they got their shirt or I wonder what they're thinking in their mind or I wonder you know just play around in your head for a little bit um yes it's okay to tune out for a few minutes from meetings um (laughs) trust me you'll never always be in tune but that, that fun curiosity is a skill that you have to practice. Yeah. And I think, you know, just to connect it to the, the sort of last piece about your own career, like sometimes um, you might not feel as comfortable, like, you know, just before yeah. we hit record, we were talking about Toastmasters, right? Like that's yeah. a great place where it's like, maybe at work, it's too high stakes for you yes. to ask for like yes. a 
like, I don't want to speak in front of the board. So you're not looking yep. for that opportunity, but you can join something like Toastmasters yes. and try that in front of a bunch of strangers where it's very low stakes. <laughs> <laughs> I totally wish I had joined Toastmasters when I was still a leader. That is absolutely, or the, the Chamber of Commerce or someplace like that where, yeah, you get that opportunity to, to stretch out. Yeah. Okay. So it's like uh, start small. That's what yes. I always say to people. You know, start like small, take risks, steps. but take risks that like are not so high stakes that you feel like you might be derailing your career if they yeah. don't go well. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Our last one. You want to throw I it don't out? do emotions. Oh, you, you know, know was... sometimes uh, do you get this, Kathy? People are kind of like, oh, I don't know about coaching. It's kind of airy fairy or wishy washy or touchy feely. Touchy feely. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and often when I get people on calls, they're like, yeah, I just, I, I'm like, don't want to talk about emotions or at work, I try and shut them off, tune them out. And uh, yeah, people don't, I think there's a, a misunderstanding that emotions don't belong in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And so yes. it gets them in trouble. So what's the or, shift? Go ahead. Yes. Yeah. It's really, um, you know, educating yourself about the power of emotions. And actually, I was listening to your podcast where you were you were talking about that. Like sometimes we make up that if we just ignore them, then they're not there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was doing the boo, you can't hear me. <laughs> As opposed to realizing like we all have emotions. Yes. And um I mean this is this is an interesting thing too, because again, it's like I think, you know, D Daniel Goldman is sort of the the father of emotional intelligence. Yes. So that's, that's a resource that you can check out. Um, and you know, this is something Harvard business review is writing about all the big bang is yeah, business yeah. magazines are writing about. So the idea that like, I think that's just like a very outdated kind of idea Yeah, that emotions don't belong at work. And really what I loved when I was listening to you earlier today is like thinking about, yeah, like you have to find a way to have your emotions, recognize them, and then use them to get you into some kind of action. Because if yeah. you're frustrated about something, then something needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. Pretending you're not frustrated and plastering that smile on your face has people call you names, you know, um, and not nice names. And, and so people can read you like a book half the time. I mean, that's where those sayings have come from. She wears her heart on her sleeve or, you know, all of those sayings come from, we see your emotions. So for you to pretend that they don't exist is silly for starters, not very helpful as well. And so, yeah, the shift is educating yourself about emotions, understanding what they are, how they show up, how they work, how you can use them. And what I was talking about yesterday was, uh, increasing your emotional vocabulary. I mean, people don't even use the variety of emotional names that are out there. And the other piece I was listening to, Lisa Feldman Barrett is, is one of the uh, researchers that I love listening to about emotional intelligence. And uh, just the difference in cultures. People express emotions differently from different cultures and we're such a multicultural uh, workforce now. Um, as well as generational, right? So there's there's all of this stuff. And if you think that this is a textbook picture of mad, you're way off. Uh, mad can be expressed in so many different ways now. And so that's part of understanding emotions. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it, I think it really, you know, kind of circling back to trust. It's like, how are people going to trust you as a leader if you are not, you know, willing to be vulnerable enough to express how you're feeling in an appropriate way that moves things to where they need to be. And, you know, when, when we were in coaches training, Kathy, like one thing I always remember was them saying like, you know, if you're not willing to go there, then your clients won't. And it's the same thing for a leader. Like if you're not willing to ever express frustration, for example, then no one on your team will to you but they're still going to be expressing frustration, you know, just not <laughs> I, to your face. <laughs> I always say that, don't you? Like your legacy is long-term, but it's also what people say about you at Smoker's Corner and by the water cooler and when you leave the room. And that's the most important thing to think about. Yeah, if they're not going to say it to your face, they're still going to say it. Yeah. Oh, this has been wonderful conversation, Janice. So let me just recap for everybody so that they know. The current mindset that we have is no time, and the shift we want you to make is that it's an investment. The second one is no money, and the shift we want you to make is that you need to redirect your training dollars. The third mindset that gets you into trouble is no support. The mindset shift we want you to make is I need to take responsibility for my career. Number four, I am afraid to fail, and I need to adopt an experimenter's mindset is the shift. And finally, I don't do emotions. Yeah, you might want to start to educate yourself about emotions. Thank you so much, Janice. Thanks, Kathy. Anything you know, else you want to add? Um, I was just, as we were talking, I was thinking it might be fun to give a few books that we think yes. are like yes. the, the best right. books for okay, leadership. Okay, so pop, um, some, pop some out. Yeah. So I, uh, well, you know this about me, but I love Radical Candor by Kim yes. Scott. I think it's a really like a good survey just of how to be a good manager. Like she covers a lot of ground, but one of the most impactful pieces of that book is really about creating a culture where people can give each other feedback. So that's definitely one that that's probably the book that I most recommend to my clients. Yeah. Perfect. I actually, one of the things that I love recommending is the Simon Sinek books uh, because he, he really does this. He demonstrates it as much as he talks about it. And if you just search his books, he's got a new one out, uh, The Infinite Game. And talking about things like moral conscience and ethics. And so, yeah, again, we're not, we're we're expected to be ethical leaders who lead with integrity, but we're not taught how to do that. Mm. Um, So I love his work. But yeah, maybe we'll add a couple others when we pop this into the blog and uh, share people with people, some of the, the popular leadership books that we would recommend they read. Awesome. And Janice, you are doing book clubs as well. And so why don't you tell everybody how they can find you? What What's the best place to find you in the work that you do? Yeah. So if you go to fundraisingleadership.org and click on our free resources, then you'll see information about our book discussions. And uh, we're having our second one in June. And uh, so it's a new thing we're doing because we felt like it's often, uh, you know, I think there's a lot to be learned from a book, but it's more important to talk about it and then get into action. And so yeah. we're trying to help people have those conversations and then make some commitments to change. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us on today's podcast. And I hope that everybody pops on over. Janice is on social as well. So head on over there and you'll find all of her links too. Thank you, Janice. Thanks, Kathy.
If you found today's episode helpful, then you are going to love the training library. Many women leaders in nonprofits wish that they had a coach or a mentor to help them, but they don't believe that they or their organization can afford it. Oh, but you can. Inside of the training library membership site, you will not only get access to affordable and easily accessible ongoing personal and professional development training, you will also have access to a leadership coach at your fingertips. That way, when you hit those inevitable challenges that leadership will bring your way, you'll have both the resources and the support to navigate your way through them with confidence, composure, and while keeping your integrity intact. To find out more, head to kathyarcher.com slash library. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love it if you could leave me a comment or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Go make the rest of your day awesome.